as we look at the book of Philippians, Paul speaks to the unity of the church. Um, and then he also speaks to the way that we are to find contentment and ultimately joy in Christ in the midst of circumstances that change that we can't control that we're moving that are moving around that are are shifting all the time and so um as we come to the book of philippians this morning we want to look um we'll start here um and the beginning i don't want to give it the normal you know entire um like book overview that we would normally give we're just going to kind of move a little bit more rapidly into this and so um, we'll pick we'll pick up. Uh, let's let's start here with the first two verses. We'll pray, and then uh, we'll we'll jump into it. <clears throat> so as Paul writes, he says, "This Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." Let's, let's, uh, let's pray together and we'll, we'll figure out where we're going to go from here. Lord, we're thankful for your word and we pray that you would teach us and instruct us, that you would give us all the insight that we need, um, that you would meet us in this moment as we are just kind of struggling to figure out where we should go and what you're doing. And um, it's a moment that we've not been in before. We want to again seek you and see what you're wanting to accomplish in your church. And so Lord, encourage our hearts and give us um, what we need to hear this morning. Not what we want to hear, but where you want to encourage us, Lord. We want to receive that um, wholeheartedly <clears throat> until Lord minister to us now by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would be with the churches who are also gathering digitally this morning and they're kind of trying to figure it out as well. We pray that your spirit would be moving among them and, and bringing unity and that your people would be encouraged and strengthened. Lord, work in us now by the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So as we come to the book of uh, Philippians, what we're going to see here is Paul kind of opening up with this idea of uh, Christian unity. And he lays out the groundwork for, um, for this book in... A very like specific way. Paul's a very methodical writer. He's very um, he, he moves about these things in a very in a very specific way. And what he tends to do is to build a very logical argument and tends to put things together in such a way that, uh, especially in this book, he's writing in a very like legal sense and a very like specific instruction. And so he begins uh, with these verse or with with these words. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So in, just in these very first two verses, what he's doing is just laying down a great theme of unity. He wants us to get right away that they're connected by Christ Jesus, right? He, and right out the gate, we've got this threefold repetition of Christ Jesus, right out the beginning. Paul and, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He's repeating this again and again because he's trying to establish this common ground. Like we have unity around this one thing and that one thing is Christ. 
we don't have unity around our situations necessarily. We don't have unity around our circumstances. But the thing that we do have unity around is Jesus. It's what binds us all together. And so here he opens up the book with this very specifically. And this thread will continue because he's getting them to remember that this, this unity in Christ is where they ultimately find their deepest and greatest joy. And so he starts off here uh, as the author of the letter, but he also says with Timothy, who's probably, uh, who is probably kind of serving as Paul's um, scribe, like he's probably, as Paul's dictating, Timothy's probably like scribing what, what's happening here at the moment. And he says, uh, he opens up with that very different greeting in the book of Philippians. He says, Paul, uh, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, again, he's nailing this down, but it's also important for us to see because this is a total departure from Paul's usual style. In the other books, he establishes himself as an apostle, according to the Lord Jesus Christ. Like he's again and again trying to establish his authority. Um, But in this book, he puts himself on the same level, the same playing field as everybody else, right? You notice that? He says, uh, both he and Timothy are slaves, or uh, some of your translations may say bond slaves or bond servants. What he's trying to do is to establish here that they are in Christ Jesus, they're united together, and they have this common uh, this common level that they're on. Like he's not better than them, they're not better than him, that they're all in need of this relationship with Christ. Now, and at this time, uh, you know, Paul is he's writing and the idea, the concept of uh, slaves in kind of this Roman colony sense, they had different things that they were doing, different um, routines and and responsibilities. But no matter what they were doing as their work, the thing that brought them together in the unity as servants is that they served their master. And here Paul's saying, no matter what you're doing, no matter what circumstance you're in, the common thing that bonds us together is that we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he calls himself this servant. He makes this note for, uh, for his hearers. But as he's also doing this, he's laying down his credibility because he's putting himself on the same level as other great men of God throughout history. He's doing something, although he doesn't speak with apostolic authority and saying, I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, what he does is instead say that I am a servant, right? Other, throughout the scriptures, other people who were given this title or who who were used this title of of being a servant of the Lord were Moses, Joshua, David, they were each called this. And so Paul is setting it up in such a way to say, here's who I am. Here's what I'm doing. I'm coming to serve you. We're bonded together as the relationship in Christ. And so uh, he's laying down this framework for us. Now, the thing about this is, as we are devoted to Jesus, right, as Christians are bound together in Christ and we're devoted to him, when we take that opportunity that we have to serve one another, what we're doing there is expressing our lordship, the lordship of Christ over our lives. When we take opportunities to serve other members of the body of Christ, to look across and say, hey, I'm going to come and meet your need. I'm going to give my time to you. What that does is it demonstrates that you're under the will of 
Jesus, because he wants to take care of his own people. So it gives us an opportunity to step out into serving others, to taking care of others, because this is what Christ would have done for us. And so he lays down this framework and he speaks now to, what does it say? To all the saints, right? To all the saints. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So he's speaking to this group of people, this word that he says here when it says to all the saints, some, some of the translations might say like the, um, to those holy ones or to the holy saints. What it's essentially saying here is that these people are Christians, that they have been redeemed by Christ's blood. They aren't separated from him. They, are, they don't have any sort of righteousness apart from Christ. He's speaking to them on the basis of their acceptance through the work of Christ. He's telling them, you've not earned your, your position here. You've not earned it by performance, but you've earned it by reconciling, uh, being reconciled to Christ through his work. He is the one that has brought you near. And so he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, again here, he's bringing that common theme of unity in Christ Jesus. And here he's speaking to this group of people who are in this same position with him. They're in this same relationship. And so uh, he then goes on and says, with the overseers and deacons. Now, those who are overseeing this group of people, because they're the ones who are likely to get involved in their circumstance, in their situation here. There's a little bit of disunity that's happening here in this group of people. And he's speaking to them so that way they can resolve this disunity that they can come together and find that they need to point other people to Jesus, that they need to reconcile these things. And so he opens up in verse two with these words, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he starts with these words that are quite, um, I guess we'll say subversive. It's a subversive set of, of, of word selection that he uses here. Because as he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, what he's getting at here is that he's saying that these two things are delivered, grace and peace are delivered and provided exclusively by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, contextually, for Paul, this, and, and for his hearers, this is important because who's he writing to? He's writing to a Roman colony. He's writing to a group of people who are under the rule of Caesar. And according to Caesar, only he would be called Lord. And so what Paul's doing here is saying, although you're under this other person's rule, although you're sitting under this other government, although you are in a position to have to obey the rules of the government, there is only one Lord who gives you grace and who gives you peace. There's only one Lord who does that, and it's not Caesar. And I think for us, this is something that can meet us in this moment, particularly because that's kind of the way that the world is operating right now, right? Isn't that kind of the things that, that as you look across the news, everyone's trying to kind of see, like, when is this going to be over? When is this moment of crisis going to be over? When is the pandemic going to end? When are we going to be able to get out of our houses? When are we going to be in a position where, uh, you know, the the like the curve is flattening out and that everyone's talking about when are we going to get there and everyone's looking for different answers and trying to figure out like 
who's got the best test and how can we administer this and how can we do this more quickly? And people are like, oh, we got to give them like some like malaria drug and that's going to like everyone's trying to figure this out. And not to say that we shouldn't try to solve this problem. But what we are saying is that there is a Lord who can give us peace in the midst of this situation already. We don't have to be panicked. We don't have to be people who are scattered about and, you know, frustrated and scared. We can know that we can have grace and peace right now in this moment as is because we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. He rules and reigns over everyone. It's not our government that tells us when we can or cannot go outside. It's not, you know, any of these uh, authorities, the WHO, it's not, you know, the CDC. We want to obey those people as good stewards, but it's the Lord who gives us peace. It's the Lord who helps us. You know, throughout Christian history, the, the, we find that there is a trajectory of Christians dealing with crisis, pandemic, uh, people being on the forefront. We are always the people who are on the forefront because we are not a people who are afraid of death. We are not a people who are afraid of facing hardship and suffering. We have exactly the prescription for suffering because we know that Christ has suffered for us and that we are called to suffer with him. And so we're not a people who are trying to insulate ourselves from these things, but we can know that Jesus can be with us in the midst of this hardship. The rest of the world, they don't have that truth. They don't have that belief. They're not standing on that confidence, but we can have that. And so we can have this calm in the midst of hardship. We can have this calm in the midst of trial. We can be a people who are standing still in the midst of the storm, not because we are strong, but because we trust that Christ is the solid rock on which we stand. We can be that people. And so Paul brings this exhortation to this group of people. And he indicates that Jesus is Lord. It's to remind these Philippian people who they are true servants of. We need to be reminded in this moment, like as much as we get all this news coming in and out, we serve the Lord. And he's the one who's ruling and reigning over all creation. He's the one who's having his way. He's the one who can do anything. We serve him. And so Paul delivers these greetings, a typical greeting for him, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Wanting to bring them this idea of peace that is brought about through Christ. And Paul's greeting here in the opening verses is basically a short summary of his theology. That, that's, that's all it really is. Like he's getting here in his, in his opening greeting, it's a message of grace. It's a message of peace. The source of that grace and peace is Jesus. And we experience this peace of God because, and the grace of God because of the work of Jesus upon the cross. This is what he's reiterating again and again and again. We're, we're united in Christ. We are in Christ together. And so he, um, he speaks this important word to us to give us this understanding, this idea of how we ought to feel about these things in the moment, how we ought to be encouraged in the midst of hardship. It's easy for us to be a people who are scattered in mind, who are scattered in heart, who are confused about perhaps how we ought to process these things, but to give us a foundation, right? And this is why it's so important that as God's people, that we are a people 
who are investing <laughs> our time, our energy, our efforts into pursuing the Lord, first and foremost, that we have to be a group of people who are wanting to understand his heart, what he's doing, what he's speaking. Right, because if, if if you're not putting in that time in the morning, you're not coming to the one who's giving you peace. Right? It's too easy for us to kind of show up and, and check the box. It's too easy for us to show up and say, Okay, here I am and I did my thing and I didn't really get much out of it, but I'm moving on. It's it's too easy. But we have to come and say, Lord, I need to hear from you. You are the only one that's going to give me peace in the midst of this storm. Now, he continues uh, in verse 3, and he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, <clears throat> all making uh, my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And so he pivots from his opening statement here from one of reminding them of the grace and peace of God to reminding them of his unity with them first and foremost in prayer. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. What, what we see here is that Paul's, his, <clears throat> um, his thanksgiving, his attitude, his perspective, it comes up of his own personal experience of God's grace in his life. I mean, if you think about Paul's journey, if you think about what Paul has experienced, if you think about his hardship that he's gone through, I mean, he has totally run the gamut. He has experienced, he's, uh, he's, he's you know, uh, just been persecuted as he was persecuting others. He's been chased down. And now we find that he's speaking from this same experience. Paul writing in this difficult situation in this difficult um circumstance that he's in and he is speaking from it he's saying i thank my god in all my remembrance of you where there is conflict where hardship arises when there's suffering he knows that god is guiding his prayer life as he seeks the lord as he's seeking to not only think about himself but he's thinking about others now, as you read these opening words here, as you read the understanding of Paul talking about grace and peace, as you read you know, him in verse 3 saying, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I mean, you could almost imagine him sitting in like this pristine you know, marble, uh, you know, hallway and having like this amazing, like this amazing view and, and just looking over like this, like great valley and it just being like immaculate and like the most perfect sunny day. But as Paul actually writes this, these are the words of someone who's sitting in prison, right? These are the words of someone who is in a dire situation. These are the words of someone who is writing from a position of isolation, right? They don't have the comforts of, uh, of everyday life. He's by himself. He's lonely. He doesn't have the perspective of, uh, <clears throat> um, he doesn't have the perspective of these 
options to, you know, get up out of his prison and go walk the halls and grab things, you know, like, oh, let me find something great to eat. That's not what he has. But what he does have is the Lord. He's by himself. He's isolated. He's lonely. But those are things that we all face. And those are things that we all are facing even right now in this moment. A lot of us are by ourselves. We don't have a bunch of people. We don't have a lot of interaction. We're not, we're not a people who are designed to be this way. We're not designed to be alone, right? We're designed to be in relationship and community, right? This is why we find God is the perfect community. He's a Trinitarian community, a perfect community of love. As the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Spirit, they all love each other uh, equally. And as we are his people, we're made in his image, we are designed to have this same perspective. We are designed to have this same pursuit, right? This is the story from the very beginning, right? At creation, as God created in the garden, we find Adam there. And what does he say? It's not good that man is alone. And so we find then Eve is brought about. And then there's that trinity that they have of, of Adam and Eve and the Lord, right? But then what brings about that fall is the broken community because of selfish ambition. Somebody is like, I got a better plan than God. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. And so the thing that brings about isolation is when somebody doesn't want to walk with God. Somebody doesn't want to serve the Lord. That's what brings about isolation. And then as soon as, uh, as soon as Adam enters into sin, right? As soon as he disobeys the Lord, then what are they doing? They're hiding. Adam and Eve are hiding. And then the Lord comes to find them. And he's like, where are you guys? Before they were never hiding, but now they're trying to make sure that they're not seen, right? They go into isolation because of sin, because of disobedience. And so we're not designed to be alone. We're not designed to be in this way. And so we have to purpose to be together with the people of God. And the, for the Philippians here, they were having a bit of an issue with their problem of unity. They were not sticking together. And so Paul writes to encourage them in that. And as we are forcibly isolated at this moment, we don't have the opportunity to gather. We need to kind of step into this moment as well and say, like, we need to purpose to be together. All right. We have to make sure that we're not being alone. We have to try to be together, whether that would be, uh, you know, practically through phone, phone calls, through video chats, through getting together on the Slack. This is one of the reasons why we want to have these uh, daily posts on the Bible thoughts and the prayer request channel. So that way everyone can see like, well, okay, we're all sticking together. We're all walking this road together. But when we're isolated, we tend to fill our time and try to do other things. We try to invest in, in other things. We do exactly the same thing that that Eve did there in the garden. She thought like, oh, I got my own plan. I'm going to my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. But God knows that there's only true community, true joy, true rest in him. And so he's made a way for us to be in community through his work at the cross. And so there's no opportunity for us to find joy and satisfaction in, in any, anything else. Paul finds his joy and satisfaction in Christ, even when he's alone, in prison, facing punishment, he gives prayers of thanksgiving, thanksgiving for the Philippians, right? He says, always in every prayer of mine, making, uh, 
always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Right? This is what he does. While he's in this situation, while he's in this hardship, while he is in a difficult circumstance, what does he do? He prays, he remembers them in Thanksgiving, and he does this in a couple different ways here. If you notice in verse four, he says, always in every prayer of mine. So someone who's praying always, I would say that they're praying pretty frequently, right? So it should be as a matter of practice, our goal to make sure that we're continuing in prayer, continuing a conversation with the Lord, right? This is something that if you're not familiar with, that you want to employ, right? Instead of having a time of prayer, right? Necessarily where you're like, oh, I'm going to have like my morning prayer. And like, that's my one time I'm going to pray. Why don't you have like more rapid fire bursts throughout your day, right? You don't need to have a setup. You can just continue the conversation. In a sense, uh, you know, it's helpful to just continually be asking the Lord, be speaking to the Lord throughout the day and praying and asking him for insight and for wisdom and what he's doing and asking him to teach you and instruct you, right? It, it, you can kind of, if you're ever going to send someone a message, you know, you don't only text message them in the beginning of the day and you're like, okay, I'll check it the next morning, right? You're going to send them the message and then hopefully they're going to reply and then you're going to reply back and you're going to keep the conversation going throughout the day. This is the same thing that we want to do with the Lord. We want to be praying frequently. This seems what seems like what Paul did. He's faithful to remember them in his prayers. He says, always in every prayer of mine. The more time that we spend praying for people, it leads to greater thankfulness for them. So the people that you're the least thankful for, you should pray for them. You'll get more thankful for them, right? The Lord is going to meet you there and be like, okay, you're going to become more thankful for these people that you don't really want to pray for, right? Um, but then as he prays always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. So he prays for specific things. He's focusing on this prayer uh, with, for unity. He wants them to be joyful. He's praying for them all together. He keeps bringing this message of in Christ, you all. He's trying to wrap them all up together in these words so that way they know that they need to proceed together as a church body. Right? We have a tendency to pray for Christians that we really like. And we have a difficult time for the praying for those people that we don't really like. We'd rather not deal with it, not go through the hassle. But Paul doesn't exclude anybody from his prayers of thanksgiving. He's like, I'm going to set the example. I'm going to see that the church needs to be united. I'm going to pray for all of the people and find that we have unity in Christ together. And so he says, <clears throat> lastly here in verse 4, that he makes his prayer with joy. Now, for Paul, throughout the entire book of Philippians, you'll see that this is one of the keys. He always makes his focus joy, right? He, he makes his focus that of finding joy in Christ. It's at the heart of his prayer. He's in a difficult situation. He's praying for the Philippian church for their situation, but his focus is not <clears throat> on his situation. His focus is on praying for others and praying that they would have joy. He wants them to experience this deep satisfaction in Christ. 
And so he brings this uh, idea of thanksgiving and joy to mind for in his prayers for the church. Giving thanks to God for his friends, it brings joy to his heart. It's like this, it's this cyclical uh, idea. As you pray that other people experience the joy and peace of God, that joy then infiltrates your heart because you know how deeply satisfying God is and how he is going to satisfy others. And the more you pray for it, the more it's going to be delivered to you. Now, in verse five, we find out why he's thankful, why he's praying for their joy. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So why is Paul thankful with great joy? He says he's thankful because of their partnership in the gospel. Now, I love this. This is, this is the best. This is like so good. One of my favorite things. Because this idea of partnership involves having a mutual interest in sharing, right? We have a common goal together. We have something that we are working on together. We have a, a strategy, a perspective that we are trying to pursue together. And for Paul, he says, not only are we united in Christ, but we have a common partnership. We have a common goal. And he says, we have a partnership in the gospel. It's a close connection as friends, as they share a common faith in the gospel, as they are connected because of the gospel. But their entire relationship is built on the gospel is what he insinuates, right? Because we have a partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. What's he talking about there? Their relationship was built on the gospel. Their friendship started on the first day that Paul brought the gospel to them. He's like, I've only ever known you in a relationship through the gospel. So everything that we have is built on that. It's not built on shared you know, affinities for other things. It's not built on our hobbies. It's not built on things that we really find in common. We like the same type of movies. It's not built on anything else, but we have an, a shared perspective of rejoicing in the gospel a partnership in the gospel. Our relationship is connected in the gospel. And so this idea is that the gospel brings about a connectedness within the people of God, and it brings about a transforming power in the people of God that allows us to value one another because Christ values us individually, and he's values, he has valued us to bring about the church as a body through his work at the cross. And so because of that, we are people who have to then in turn value that same group of people, that fellowship that we have in Christ, the partnership of the gospel together, right? Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. He says, once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So these two things that happen. It's a, it's a contrast that's happening here. Once you were not a people, you were not a group of people. You're just a bunch of people scattered, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He, he brings about this contrast that we can see so that we can understand that this is what brings us into faith together. This is what brings us into a partnership in the gospel. They received this partnership together and their idea, their project, their partnership in the gospel is the proclamation of the gospel with Paul. Like they're interested in people meeting Jesus, right? That's what it means to be partners in the gospel, that we are connected together 
in Christ, that we have met Jesus, that we enjoy Jesus together, and that we're interested in other people meeting Jesus. We want other people to taste and see that the Lord is good. We want other people to understand that he is faithful, that he is good. We want them to experience that and to enter into that same true community that we have, right? And so he continues here saying that because we've begun in the gospel, because we have started in the gospel, he is then confident. He has faith that this will continue. Now, his faith is not built on his own experience. His faith is not built on his own willpower. Uh, his, not, his faith is not built on these people pulling them up their, themselves up by their bootstraps to get them through these the suffering and hard times. His faith is built upon the Lord's faithfulness, right? Here's what he says in uh, verse six. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's confident. He's sure. He's not, he's not wishy-washy about it. He's not up in the air. He's confident as he prays for the unity of this group of people. He's, as he prays that, uh, as he prays into their circumstance, what is he praying? He's not praying with confidence in the Philippians' ability or in their track record. He's not saying, Philippians, I know you guys are going to do it. I know you guys are going to become united. I know that you guys are going to start to obey Jesus because your track record is really good or you guys have great abilities. That's not what he's, that's not what he's praying for. He is confident in the faithfulness of God. Right? He's confident in God's faithfulness, not in their faithfulness. He knows that they're going to fail. He is confident that he is confident that God will not fail, that God will keep pursuing, that God will keep enabling them to draw near to him. He is confident in the Lord's work. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He is confident in, that their partnership in the gospel will continue because he has confidence in the power of God and their partnership is the good work of God. He will do that work. He who began a good work in you, he who began this partnership in the gospel, he will bring it to completion. But their partnership in the gospel isn't just about their connectedness um, in like this surface level relationship. Their partnership in the gospel is because, and our partnership in the gospel is because we are purchased by the blood of Christ, right? It's not about being connected with a bunch of people who share the same values. That's one of the things that, that we enjoy as God's people, that we share the same biblical values. But it's that we belong to his family, right? We're not just being moral people. It's that we are purchased by his blood and we are a part of his family. Even Jesus, uh, in the gospel of Mark, he puts off his own family when they're trying to be like, hey, your, your mother and your brothers are here. And, and he's like, who are my mother and who are my brothers? 
right? He, he like makes this thing like, my family is not as important. My, my blood family is not as important to me as my spiritual family. What does he say there in the book of Mark? He says, he, he looks around to the people who are gathered after they're saying like, hey, your family's outside. He's like, here are my mother and brothers. Like, like he points to like all the people who are in front of him. He says, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother, right? He's saying those who want to walk with me, those who are connected to me spiritually, they are the ones who are a part of my family. That goes even beyond blood. It goes further than that. And so Paul's making this point. He's emphasizing for us a way to understand that when we walk with Jesus, when we come into community in Christ, we are partners together in the gospel. We're connected in the gospel. It's the very foundation of our identity, Jesus. He's the one who creates these partnerships in the gospel. He's the one who sustains them. He's the one who will complete the purpose of every gospel endeavor, that we're connected together. He's the one who sustains us and keeps us on this path. And he will bring it to completion. We don't bring it to completion. One, you don't know when you're done. Only he knows when you're done. Two, he's the only one that can say that when you're done. Right? It's your job to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Jesus. You just keep going. You just keep walking. One foot in front of the other. You've got to invest. You've got to take the time to do it. We don't know when that road will end. We don't know what it is, but we know that he will give us the strength for the next step. And after we have that step, he'll give us strength for the next step after that. And after that, the next step after that, and so on and so forth. Because he desires that we walk with him, that we meet him every moment of every day. Right? As much as we all struggle to walk with the Lord, there are resources that he has not given to us because we've not asked for them. We are, we could have. Uh, quite a bit more help, quite a bit more resources if we would only ask. He's eager to help us obey him. He's eager to help us walk with him. He's not leaving us to ourselves. He's not leaving us on our own because he wants us to walk with him. He wants us to obey him. And Paul looks here to this day when it is complete, when we do need, when we are able to move from a position of faith, when that goes away, when we move to sight, where we see him face to face, he says, he will complete this work. He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's a day coming. Having that perspective in mind, it enables us, it allows us to work hard with anticipation of his coming. If you know something's coming, you're going to like have a different perspective as if it doesn't have an end, right? There's going to be a day that we will see him face to face. And it allows us to endure our present suffering, our present moment, our present difficulty that we are in. Because we know that there will be a time where we will see him right? And we have that in mind that there will be that day. But even as we are in the midst of our current situation, there will be a day, a time where we're done with this situation, where we don't have to gather, you know, on 
the computer where we can all meet together in person, where we can enjoy hugs and coffee and fellowship together. It'll be amazing, right? We don't have that day now, but we need to purpose together. We need to invest now in this moment so that way we are coming out of this intact, wholehearted, ready to pursue Jesus together. He's kind of given us this moment, if you will, to kind of back things off, to slow things down so that we might find greater confidence, that we might work on our spiritual disciplines, that we might find ways to pursue him, right? What better way, what better way to do that than to like slow the entire world down and give them some perspective about who's really in charge? It makes everybody think about like the bigger picture, to kind of have some uh, perspective about who's ruling and reigning. We know it's the Lord. And so we want to take this opportunity not to, to move on from it as quickly as possible, but to see what the Lord is speaking to us in this moment, right? To see how we can grow stronger in this moment, how we can find joy in the midst of this circumstance. For some of us, the circumstance is pretty hard. For some of us, it's not as hard. But the thing that stands the same is that joy in Christ, our relationship to him is what will give us contentment, whether it's in this current moment or whether it's when we have greater freedoms to move about, whether we have more access to things that we want. It's finding that joy. It's an opportunity for us to practice this deep satisfaction in Christ, right? We need to be together to remind each other of these things because it's easy for us to drift. It's easy for us to fall away from that, to move away from that. It's easy for us to do that. And so I would encourage you to purpose in your heart during this time to make yourself available to the Lord, to purpose and intend in your heart to pursue him wholeheartedly and to develop the practices, as Paul said there, praying, communication with the Lord. And then also, uh, you know, as you take care of others, you find that you're demonstrating that you're under, under his Lordship, under his will, right? So take this opportunity uh, to connect with other people, to jump into uh, the Slack, to post every day, to call, to video chat people, to make sure that we're all connected and that no one's being isolated and that the enemy is not having a grip on anyone's life. It's an opportunity for us to do simple things while we all have more schedule flexibility than we normally do since we can't go anywhere, right? And so we should be encouraged and grow together in this, um, in this project, a project of faith and really to understand and find out that we are partners together in the gospel, right? What people has the Lord put in your life that you need to find partnership in the gospel with in terms of making sure that they are not isolated? And then what people has the Lord put in your life in terms of mission that they're isolated, that they don't have people either? that they need to they need to be reached out to right i'm sure that there are other people who are not christians who are isolated that we can be ministering to that we can um reach out to and connect to them and so whatever 
whatever the Lord is speaking to you about there in terms of that, we want to make sure that we're trying to be as faithful as possible and we're staying in touch and continuing the conversation, um, you know, and, and staying on track with this, right? This is not the first time that this has ever happened. Like, I mean, it's the first time that we're all stuck here and because of the coronavirus and all that, but throughout church history, there's been plenty of times where there's been people isolated for a number of various reasons. And we don't want to run from the moment. We want to take advantage of it and see how we can be as faithful as possible where you can serve in that moment. And remember, remember, okay, I'm bringing you this word, but you are not, you're not like, I'm not the one that's being satisfied here. You're not trying to do this for my sake. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's Lord. So we're trying to be faithful with the opportunities and moments that he has given to us. And we want to make sure that at the end of the day, we're able to say that we were as faithful as we could. We, we did it. We were as faithful as we could be with what he's given to us. Right. It's not about listening to me. It's about listening to Jesus, right? We want to obey him and wanted to be as faithful as we can with what he's given to us. And so do your best to step out, to ask him to help you serve him, help you, uh, you know, step into this moment where maybe you don't just feel uncomfortable for a number of different reasons, but see what you can do. So that way we can be as faithful as possible as a church. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your kindness and love. We're thankful for your generosity in giving us your son. And Lord, you had a perfect, uh, a perfect community already. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And there was no really reason that you needed to move out of that. But yet you saw that we were going to be in a broken community forever. We were going to be separated from you forever, separated from true joy, from true life forever if we did not enter into a relationship with you. And so, Lord, you came to rescue us. You came to give your life so that we might find true fellowship in you, true satisfaction in you, a true relationship in you. And Lord, we, we're so thankful that you did, that you rescued us from our sin, that you rescued us from death. And Lord, we want to, in kind, show that same love. We want to show that same intention towards our fellow members of the body of Christ. Lord, we want to help people meet Jesus. And so, Lord, use this time where things are different than they normally are for us, where things are a little bit backwards and upside down feeling perhaps. Use this time uh, to help us serve you faithfully, to be intentional about loving and caring for one another, and Lord, to grow in our, um, our satisfaction, our joy, contentment in who you are, Jesus. And so, Lord, meet us in this moment and give us all that we need according to your will. We love you. Amen.